My name is Aaron McManus, and you are listening to the Battle Ready Podcast. Welcome back. And what I'm really excited for this week is that we launched the genius of Jesus with Erwin Raphael McManus, my dad, who is here today. I am so excited. You're back. I am back. We did an episode last week. Well, I did an episode, me, Austin, and Tess, and we swapped Tess out for Brooke. We did an episode called A Solo Mission. And if you haven't heard it, you need to go listen to it right now. One of my friends, Edwin Ariave, uh, incredible entrepreneur, businessman, told me he listened to it. He thought it was amazing. He said, he said, Aaron is so gifted the way he brought in his team, the way mm. that Tess was involved in Austin and others. Mm. And, and so I just want you to know that you're getting rave reviews for your solo run. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But really, I'm excited to, to talk to you today. I'm excited to be talked to. I have a copy <laughs> of your book. Boom. Oh, there it is. The genius of Jesus. The, the genius man who Jesus. changed everything. Boom. Boom. Oh, the back inside cover is cute. It's your photo. Oh, there I am. I don't think we were shooting for cute. I hear Brooke in there laughing. I'm glad she's I'm not so, mic'd. I'm I don't so want her sad. reinforcing your bad behavior. This is your 10th book. <laughs> it could be, yes. Well, it's tough because you have like, you've done little versions of books. Like you've done like a mini book for like, and I've done a few like off of another book. books with other people and things like that right. along but the this way. Is, so 10 I think, books. Yeah. I think it's like 11 or maybe 13 books yeah, that you've this is book number 10 that this I count. This is your book number 10. Yeah. We're really bad at celebrating the numbers. This mm. is 10. This is 10. On Convergent. You're publishing, your publishing house is called Convergent. Yeah, I, they're great. Uh, this is the first book I've done with them. Um, they're um, a division of um, Penguin Random House. and That's a big deal. They're a great company. Yeah, great they company. Are. It's yeah. a big, Michelle Obama's on Penguin Random House. Is she? Jordan B. Peterson is on Random House. So they have, you know, what you're saying is they have some good writers. What I'm saying is that, <laughs> yes, is that you are among greatness. Oh, I love that. Hey, Tess. Thank you, Tess, Thanks, so Tess. much. Bye, Tess. So we're going to give away something special on this podcast. Mm. We do this. We've done this for the last few books, but I think this is my favorite one. This is a special box, the Genius of Jesus box. And when you open it, it has magic inside. It's a collector's edition. It has a bookmark. It has a special note with a QR code. It has, You're going to show them the inside? No. No? It's for the winner. Oh, okay. Don't you think? The winner? The winner of what? The winner of this box set. It has a signed well, copy. How can someone win? How should they win? How should we pick it? I don't know. That's um, I'm not really good at knowing at setting up things like that. You're much okay. better than me. So we're gonna do the we're gonna do the classic. You've got to tag three friends in the most recent comment box. So mm -hmm. the, the 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 post for this episode, you've got to tag three people. And then maybe you've got to post on your story someone you think is a genius and tag you and tag Bad Already Podcast mm -hmm. and hashtag the genius of Jesus. All right. Right? That sounds good. Yeah. Highlighting a genius in other people. Oh, that'd be great. It doesn't even have to be someone we know or recognize. Yeah, no. Just maybe a friend of theirs or someone yeah. in their life that they nominate a genius. Nominate. I like that. Nominate a genius. That's kind of cool, life. right, Tess? I like that a lot. 
I think it's cool. Why don't you show people what's inside? So you want to be on the podcast or no one want to be on the podcast? What? <laughs> what? Well, how did we get here? I'm saying you should show them the inside of the book. All right. Okay. Would you show them the inside? Yeah. yeah I think so. Show them what they're about to win. Boom. A note. Special words. A bookmark. Ooh. And a signed copy. Ooh. And a signed copy with special packaging of the genius of Jesus. And it's signed by you. It is. And... Uh, I just love the design. I think it's really, really beautiful. It's really um, kind of a... Um, it's a collector's item. Yeah, it's a collector's item, yeah. It's a great, like, coffee table system. Conversation, yeah. Yeah, I like it. And by the way, if you have friends who do not believe in God and do not believe in Jesus, this is a great gift for them because I am so convinced this book is the entryway to the conversations so many people wanted to have with their friends but just haven't known how to step into it. Yeah. And so doing a book club with your friends who are atheists, agnostics, Buddhists, Muslims, um, who are, you know, are just undecided. Yeah. Uh, this is a great entry point. Doing a book club around the genius of Jesus. The opening chapter really just focuses on genius. It's a great way to begin a conversation yeah. about what does it mean to be created in the image and likeness of God. And the second chapter is called Prodigy. Yes. Which I think is amazing. I'm really excited. I am doing a book club. You are. And I think you should you should special guest star, as in you are the main part of this book club. But I think you should do a couple of sessions with me. I'll pop in. I will definitely pop into the book club. And you have, I mean, I hundreds. A few hundred, yeah, yeah, that are signed up. So here's the deal. We're going to set up a Zoom. It's mm -hmm. going to start the first week of October. Okay. And we're going to host them online. So if you live in Australia or you live in London mm -hmm. or you live... South Africa, and you're in a different time zone than Pacific Standard Time, you'll still be able to access these sessions. Mm -hmm. um, we'll, f we'll figure out some way. We'll, you can always email us questions about sessions that we're doing, but I think it'd be really cool if we answered a few questions from people that are involved in the Zoom. So there's going to be a portion of us chatting, a portion where people just kind of like listen, so, some engagement, and then some question and answer kind of Done. stuff. On this I'm week. in. Yeah? I'm in. It'd be fun. Yeah, it'd be a lot of fun. It'd be great and bring great questions. Yes. And I just want to even invite you, if you have friends, especially if you have friends who yeah. do not go to church, yeah. if friends who do not believe in God, friends who consider themselves irreligious, yes. bring their questions and bring them with you to the book club. And it's a pretty, s no, no, they can't come to the book club. Oh, no, they can't. No. Yes, right, it's by private invitation. Yeah. But then bring their questions, and that way you can actually yeah, bring, bring their questions, then yeah. you could have a conversation like, with hey, them. like, hey, friend, there's something you can't come to. Because you didn't pre-order the book. So I'll ask a question for you. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to do four weeks of this. Because the, the, the whole book is eight chapters. But we're going to do four weeks, four sessions. Okay. And we're going to talk the genius, the prodigy, empathy, power. But we might even just dip into empathy, power, grace, and good. Mm -hmm. We might even team up chapters. I'm not sure. So what we'll do is we'll give some time yeah. to people to like read Maybe the chapters. Maybe we'll team up chapters one and two. The genius and the prodigy. Yeah. Empathy and power. Yeah. Grace and good. Yeah. I really like that. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. Okay. So the last episode was called The Solo Mission. And I talked about how we saw a movie for the first time in a long time. Mm -hmm. Shang-Chi. Yes. The new uh, Marvel Studios uh, superhero movie with like the first Chinese lead for Marvel, which is pretty Loved incredible. It. Yeah, I loved it. Did you yeah. like it? Oh, I thought it was amazing. It was I one of my it. favorite yeah. Marvel movies. 
And there's a moment where Aquafina is talking <laughs> to like the grandpa and he he hands her like a bow and arrow and she's like, I'm not a fighter. And he's like, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit nothing. Mm-hmm. So the last episode is us breaking down kind of this idea and breaking down a few questions on it, what it looks like to aim at nothing and to hit nothing. I mean, it's a pretty popular adage. Is it? Yeah. And if you aim at nothing, you hit nothing. Okay. And it assumes that you are aiming. Okay. <laughs> thing at all. And so maybe that's assuming more proactivity than sometimes um, is merited. <laughs> what do you think makes people so afraid to choose anything to aim at? Because I think people are instinctively fearful by nature. Not all mm-hmm. people, but some people. And I think so many people are afraid to just take a shot at anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that... Um, maybe more dangerous than aiming at nothing is aiming at too little. Okay. Yeah, because when you're aiming at nothing, I think you're pretty much aware that your life is in a desperate condition. And I think it's when you're aiming for less than you should have that it can be more deceptive because you you have some measure of success or security or um, accomplishment. But we argue about this a bit because yeah. you always come from the perspective that people are aware of their um, the mundane lives they live. And I really think this is a bit more of a matrix situation where there's so many more people that are unaware right. than aware. Yeah, and maybe I've seen my own life in, in role in two different roles. One is a disruptor. I'm trying to uh, pull the plug so that people are released from the matrix. I actually can see that they've settled for a life of mediocrity yeah. of existence. And by the way, you may see yourself as a liberator I'm setting people free from the mundane, from the average, from the common, from mediocrity. They do not necessarily say thank you. They no, they it like it the, ruins people's lives. Yeah, they like their slumber. They liked the 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 comfort of mediocrity, and and so I think half it's disrupt disruption and and other parts like a violation of of their view of reality, and because once once you see that there is more to life. You can't go back and unsee that. You can just you, you can go back and live beneath it, but you always know. And and I, I think sometimes we almost put each other to sleep by accepting the status quo together. Hmm. So I guess my question is: You've hit something. Like if you're older than eighteen, you've you've already been shooting arrows. You've already had a target. You're hitting something. So maybe instead of saying, "Oh, my target is this," I'm 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 just not hitting it. Maybe what you need to ask yourself, no, what has your arrow been hitting? Because that's actually been your target. So I'm someone, okay, I'm 33 now. And we had this conversation a lot because Mm -hmm. I think oftentimes I feel like I'm not succeeding at the rate in which I would like to. Right. And so I feel, I also was like a late adopter. Maybe not a late adopter. I was was a slow grower, a a late bloomer. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. So in high school, I was really underdeveloped. I think I was smart, but I wasn't necessarily physically able to do anything. (laughs) And I was definitely a young kid. And as I've grown, I think college, I kind of bloomed more into myself. And as I've kind of been out for 10 years, um, I've grown and grown and grown. But at the same time, I think I've been more aware that there's people around me that have succeeded more than I have at the age that I am now. So how do you deal with that? Because you're always reminding me like, (laughs) <laughs> this guy didn't go to college. Now he's a billionaire. This guy didn't do this. Or like, hey, you yeah. li- you were working in the ghetto until you were in like your 40s. 
life really changed from like mm-hmm. 45 to w- where you are now. How do you not even get away from comparing? Because I think comparing is necessary in order to like understanding where you're at on your journey. But how, how do you figure out what is healthy, what's a healthy target and what's not? Uh, well, I think you have to ask yourself where those targets come from. You yeah, know, th- those targets come from other people. They impose them on your life. Are you trying to live someone else's life rather than your own? Yeah. And and so I do think there has to be a process where you step back and ask yourself, what do I really want from life? Okay. What 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 do I want from myself? Okay. And um, and obviously I think that there's a a really significant aspect of calling in a person's life, going, what is what has God created me to do okay. or to become okay. in my life and. And because I, it's interesting, right or wrong, people who have a strong sense of destiny tend to be more unstoppable. They just tend to be more resilient. Well, when, I remember when um, I decided that I would go into ministry and be a pastor, um, the pastor who had led me to faith said to me, hey, if you can do anything else, you should do it. And he goes, this will be the hardest thing you'll ever choose to do. And I think that's actually probably true for everyone's highest callings. Right. That um, if you're going to choose your highest calling, your highest capacity, your highest um, uh, good, it's going to cost you the most. And I think so that's the part of the challenge is a lot of times we just get tired of pulling on the bow. Right. <laughs> and so we don't shoot our arrow as far as we can. Okay. And in your, your sense, it, it's How some, do you find a target? Well, I think be, I think the first place you be, is that you pick a target on the person you want to become. I think this is where people get messed up. They all their targets are about success or accomplishment or career or or goals and objectives rather than personal development. I think your first target needs to be this is the person I'm going to become, and I'm going to become a person of integrity. I'm going to become a person of compassion. I'm going to become a person who forgives, who expresses grace. I'm going to become a person who um, advances the good um, your first target should always be about who you are as a human yeah. and until you get that target right every other target is going to become ethereal it's going to be an illusion you you may achieve things but it, they will never be satisfying or rewarding in your life okay and and I'll so i did for now but in terms <laughs> of success how do you pick a target well i I, I don't want you to diminish that because I do think I'm su- not diminishing it. I'm just saying success comes out of character because yeah. um, you create out of who you are. Yeah. And I think, you know, and I know a lot of guys with a lot of wealth because they figured out how to be in a system where they can create a lot of money and their lives are just vapors. I mean, they're just empty and um, they don't have any, any meaning or, or purpose in their life. And I, I think if you were able to evaluate their life objectively, you would not want that life. You might want some of the things they've achieved, but you would not want the life they actually have or the person they are. And, I, and I'm and i just saying the way I kind of designed my life is my first target was me. Who do I want to become? I also think your next targets need to be about what kind of people you want around you. Mm-hmm. What, what kind of people do you want? Uh, in your in your influence circle of people, not just that you influence, but who influence you. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, another part of the target. We uh, we tend to try to segment things. And look, yes, I spent the evening with you know a handful of guys who were all dramatically more successful yeah. than me. Yeah. 
And um, it elevated me. It elevates my ambition. It elevates my courage. It elevates my faith. It elevates my sense of wonder and fun and yeah. adventure. Yeah. And um, most of the time I'm in a room and I'm having to pull the room up. Right. You know, and, and hopefully last night I was able to pull that room up in my own way. But they definitely pulled me up too. And I think you have to be willing to aim your target at. I want to be around people who have big dreams, who have take take great risks, who have a lot of courage, who have integrity. Yeah. And uh, I want to be in that kind of room. I think that's the second aim. And then your third aim is how do you do the most good with your life? And when I, I find historically that people who have a the ability to have repeated success are not chasing money. They're actually chasing meaning. Hmm. They're doing something that gives them a deep sense of meaning and they're trying to uh, provide a genuine service or good in the world. Yeah. And that ends up becoming a way they make a lot of money. Yeah. And when you're chasing money, um, it's like the dog chasing its tail. Yeah. You know, when you if you succeed, you're going to regret it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and and so I think that the target needs to be around a, a comp, you know, a mix of things. What are you gifted to do? You know, what um, what opportunities are right in front of you right now? What um, what are you passionate about? What gets you up in the morning? And what do you love the process in, not just the outcome? And, and when you love the process of getting there, you're more likely to stay in there long enough to succeed. Mm. And, 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 you know, and so the arrows in my life have a more defined target. But I know that the first thing is the target of me, who I am, the target of the people around me, who, um, who I want to influence and be influenced by. And then the target of, uh, of those things that I seem to uniquely crafted for my skills, my intelligence, my passion, my talent, my discipline all seem to align for that. Okay. Interesting. Do you feel like the target changed for you multiple times from when you were young to kind of now when you're younger, but a more a more like seasoned person in your life? Much Absolutely. Of, when do you feel like wisdom really kicked into your life? Wow. Because I was thinking about my early 20s. Yeah. And I was like, wow. I was like looking at a photo of myself at 25. And I was like, wow, I think I was better looking at 25 than I am at 33. <laughs> but I think I cared far more about my looks at 23 than I did at 33. Mm -hmm. Where I'm like, now I actually care about accomplishing something. 23, I think I was just in the gym two hours a day and <laughs> trying to go out. And But I, I mean that in this way. I was looking back at the decisions I made at 23. And I'm like, okay. I lacked a lot of wisdom. I lacked a lot of the ability. I lacked the ability to like kind of slow things down and be able to look at them with like real perspective and go, mm -hmm. is this a choice I would like to make? I think now I know I have a high impulse. I have a low impulse control. So I have to really adjust my decisions and they can't be based on my emotions and the times that they are, are the times where I'm the most unhealthy. For you, you know, I was a little kid when you were, you know, 30s, 40s. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really see you at my age. What were you like and did the wisdom, did the pairing of wisdom and growth and like even just circumstantial like experience and what you've kind of gone through in the last 30 years being an adult, how much did that affect your the trajectory of your life? That's a really interesting question because I look back and I think um, I, I am like the opposite in terms of I have extremely high impulse control. And but the downside, by the way, of high impulse control is sometimes not doing things you really wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
because of your concern of what other people might think or other people might say or how other people are affected hopefully and you know and and so i had super high impulse control so i look back and go wow there's so many things i didn't do not because i didn't want to do them but because um i was too aware of the potential consequences of those choices yeah and so i don't know if i was wise or just a coward yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> and yeah. sometimes being fearful looks like uh wisdom but it's really not yeah and and so i i think i had a convergence in my life of wisdom and courage okay i i kept becoming more and more courageous in my life okay and but i also kept growing in wisdom and and they're the they're this interesting mixture because if i had wisdom without courage i don't know if i would have done the right thing i just would have known the right thing to do but i wouldn't have done it right but if i had courage without wisdom i might have made a lot of decisions that i did i made courageously but i wasn't wise and i could have been really destructive and so i think there was this balance in my life where i i grew um in wisdom because I, I knew to learn from other people's mistakes. You know, when people say, well, I need to, I need to experience this for myself. I need to, you know, figure this out for myself or learn, you know, by myself. Yeah. That's actually the, that's actually the um, mindset of a fool. Okay. Like a fool has to learn for themselves. Right. A, a wise person. So you calling me a fool. I'm saying they might have had foolish moments. <laughs> had lots of them. A wise person learns from other people's failures. Okay. Not just their own. A wise person learns from other people's pain, not just their own pain. Okay. And so really, the more you can learn from everyone else's experiences, right. the wiser you become because you're learning from everyone and everything. And I, I would say that uh, impulse control protected me through my early season of life from the most self-destructive choices. Yeah. And, um, and then as I kept following Jesus and kept trying to, allow my character to be changed by my relationship with him my courage kind of grew faster maybe than my wisdom okay and i sometimes was rash and made you know bad decisions and sometimes you know i i did things that probably i could have done better or no not probably things i know i could have done better yeah and but i i rarely had to experience something twice like i'm a person like i make the mistake once i usually learn from it now, there's some things I, I've made the same mistake four, five, six times. Mm -hmm. And I can look back and go, wow, I was really slow on that one. Yeah, I get that. You, you know, and um, but eventually it kicks in. I say so far in my life, it's still kicking in. I eventually learn. <laughs> and um, but sometimes it's pain. It's how many more times do you want to experience that pain before you know to make the right kind of choice? Right. And and I would encourage people is. um wisdom is really reflected in your ability to take input from other people right and if you're offended by input if you're offended by critique if you're even when you're offended by your antagonists okay and it probably means that there's a lower level of wisdom like when you're wise it's very hard to be offended okay and um and then i would say it's like courage uh it says that in the uh, book of Exodus, I think it is, no, Deuteronomy, that Joshua received the gift of Moses' wisdom. That's the last chapter of Deuteronomy. But then the opening chapter of Joshua, the conversation is about courage. So if Joshua had just had the wisdom 
but didn't have the courage. She couldn't have led them through into the promised land. Wow. And what I had to begin to realize in my own life is that um, if I don't step into life with courage, I'm going to miss out on opportunities. And so I had this internal framework of, I don't know if I'm going to get that chance again. I don't know if I'm going to get the opportunity again. So I'm going to start stepping into opportunities. And some of it was regret. I, I look back on my life and I realized so many chances to do, to experience something amazing. And I had, didn't have the courage to do it. Huh. Okay. And, uh, and so I have so many moments in my life I'm aware of that I did not have the courage to step into something amazing. Right. And so eventually you start going, I want to minimize those. I, I, I want that to be, hit the zero number. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let's make a little transition. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about your book. Okay. We've talked a lot about the book coming out, uh -huh. but we haven't talked so much about the actual book. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. So let's transition, okay? okay. So let's all let's right. dive into the book. We've talked a lot about the book. We talked about pre-ordering the book, buying the book, the book coming out, all the projects we've been working on around the book. But the thing I want to talk about today, all right, is the book. <laughs> you wrote the book. You write your books. I do every word. A lot of people don't know that there's a lot of ghostwriters out there. Kids see ghosts sometimes. People <laughs> read ghost-written books sometimes. Most of the time. But you write every word. I do. Yes. Yeah, it matters. It matters. Yeah. And it does, it's not a knock for people who are ghostwriters. Mm -hmm. We love ghosts. Well, I, I'm going to work from the assumption, like, I think the best place for ghostwriters are when someone has a great life and their life story needs to be told, but they are not a writer. So they right. need someone to write the story of their life. They were a liver. They, yeah. They, <laughs> you both lived <laughs> and lived. you're good at writing. So it's, it's, you're good at living and writing. Yeah, and, it's, a and great, so, it's a great combo. I, yeah, I don't want to diminish that. And other people have good a few good ideas or a few good thoughts, okay. but they don't have enough to put together a whole book. That's not their gifting. And so a ghostwriter will help them um, consolidate those ideas and thoughts and to create, you know, um, a, you know a, a work. And for me, the words are an art form. For me, the sentences are an art form. Uh, every the way the sentences are constructed the way the words are or ordered and organized uh the poetry the mathematics the uh, rhythm the melody of the of the book is a part of what i want to create yeah so it really it really matters i i try to bring as much poetry into the prose as i can okay how long did it take you to write this book can you share a little insight into a look into this process because I've watched you write books as quickly as like two weeks. Mm -hmm. And I've watched you write books that have taken you like a year. Mm -hmm. And this was an interesting process because it was very slow and it was much slower than it normally is for you. Yeah. Even though it's not necessarily a big book, mm -hmm. it's dense with, I think, time because you had COVID. Mm -hmm. And so there was a huge kind of crisis in the middle of COVID where all of the publishing houses were overseas. They were the US ones, all of the manufacturings overseas, yeah. and no one could make books. So then the two factories that were in the US were privately owned and they were backed up for like a year and a half. Yeah, so books were slow to come out and so they were slow to come out, they were slow to be edited. So what? how did you keep yourself ready amidst the process of writing the book between editing and the first, second round of like making adjustments? You, you wrote a much bigger book. Yes, first I wrote it super skinny and then I made it really, really fat and then end up with this. <laughs> okay, so how, what's, what's, what's skinny, what's fat in like word count? 
Can you share that stuff or no? Uh, sure. Um, target numbers are usually around 50,000 words mm -hmm. and for a book uh, around this size. 180 pages, 90 pages? Uh, usually 224 pages, but this one's I think 195 or something like that. Okay, yeah. And um, and so I, I think I originally sent them like 35,000 words. Okay. So it was pretty skinny. Yeah. And I just thought, I'm going to send you this, get feedback. That way I can know where you want me to expand. Right. And um, and besides, I don't like being edited down. No one does. Because Uprising. Because you're a writer. Yeah. When I wrote Uprising, it was 120,000 words. That's a lot of words. A lot of words. And it, they basically said, hey, we've edited everything we can. You got You've got to eliminate um, 45,000 words. Yeah. And so I took three, I think, chapters out completely from the book. Rather than cutting down each chapter, I just took out several Did chapters. Did you ever release those chapters? Never. They, they've been sitting in my private archive for years. No way. Yeah. And, uh, wow. Almost 20 years. And we must and, release and those chapters release. those <laughs> those chapters were on the theological basis of the book okay of character transformation okay and so uh if i could kind of go back what's interesting to me about the genius of jesus is in fact i just we just released one of my, my one of my talks from like three four years ago okay and in it i actually talk about genius and i talk about da vinci and picasso and einstein okay. and and the conversations I, I the, have with them. The future of conference the future 2018. Of conference, yeah. We played it on Sunday. And I realized, Sunday. wow, this theme has just been so recurring in my life. And I can okay. tell you that when I moved to LA 30 years ago, it was um, uh, a, an integration of Japanese samurai culture and the work of da Vinci that I what used. Uh, when I, you were inspired by. Yeah, when I was developing the concept of mosaic and the essence and style that I was trying to... Um, emulate i took the japanese samurai culture and the artwork and ideation of da vinci and tried to bring them together and and if you came to on my went to my desk 30 years ago you would see da vinci concepts and material all over my desk wow and um and it's interesting because i i went to this leadership uh, uh profile thing for about a week at gallup and and one of the things they actually did in that assessment is they do this massive breakdown of you and um, and one of the things they said is you know, they realized I have like private conversations with people that are dead without even realizing it. And they were saying, you know, your friends are Da Vinci and they listed these people. And I realized it's true. And that's why my wife would always, your mom would always say to me, you're a very lonely person. Yeah. All your friends are, you know, imaginary, yeah, are, dead. <laughs> are dead. And, and a lot of it was, you know, they're the people that I wanted to have conversations with. So the reason I mention this is because this book is really a 63-year journey for me. It's, it feels yeah. like it's from breath one of my life. Wow. I've been studying and grappling with the concept of genius all my life. And, and also the, uh, the danger of madness and why, you know, why it seems like sometimes when humans are pushed to the brink of their potential, they're also pushed to the brink of their, of their health. Would you would you say one thing that I love about you is one that you you are definitely someone who is always studying people, mm -hmm. whether they're dead or alive. You're someone who takes great interest in humanity, you yeah. know, and we talk about that a lot. Um, we've talked about other projects that we want to kind of build <laughs> alongside of that. But one thing um, that I've noticed is that you are really great at ident identifying the genius in other people. Mm hmm. 
and and we always disagree on this because you say like there's a there's genius in everyone right and like no some of them are just sleeping <laughs> and you're like no but you can awaken them and no but you would have been more specific you would have said dad there's no genius in me definitely definitely but would you say that like uh kanye west is a genius and I that he's he is a good example of someone who kind of goes through like uh, the roller coaster of madness yeah because uh, genius is the is the magic in the bottle but our the health of our soul is the bottle yeah our body isn't the bottle of genius it's our soul that's the bottle of genius okay and i think what you have with someone like kanye is you have genuine genius i do believe he is a genius yeah and but i do think that the bottle is broken and he's working hard to, to try to heal that you know or yeah. to be go through a process of healing and and he's public right yeah, it's and, hard you, you know and so you you can go through those kinds of swings and that kind of turmoil yeah in a private way no one maybe sees it as much yeah but with him it's a very public reality wow yeah and and so a part of it is i wanted to um i wanted to really like push the boundary of human genius and and not only ask the question but answer it um is there genius inside of every person and and i and i know i'm in a minority i know the facts go against me i know history goes against me genius is a very rare thing. Only two percent of humans ever express any level of genius in a, um, you know, marked way. And but I, it doesn't mean that I'm not right. And uh, uh, the facts are against me, but the future is for me. How and, so? Exp unwrap that statement. Yeah, because uh, you could look at a time in history and say humans do not do well being free, hmm. uh, because most of the world was conquered. <laughs> right. And the facts would be for anyone who says people do better under captivity. Right. And uh, it just, I mean, I remember 20 years ago when I was talking about the artist and soul and talking about how every human being is an artist, every human being is intrinsically creative, and that what we need to do is, is actually tap into that creative essence. In New York, which would be one of the most thoughtful places, I think, in the world, yeah. I get confronted in a Q&A and the person said, if everyone was a creative, the world would be an anarchy. Who would do the work? And I told him, I said, you sound like a slave owner. Because mm. that was the argument of what, what's going to happen if everyone's free. Right. It's going to be chaos. And, and, you know, and so there's this elitism that says, you know, only we creatives should really be doing the creating. Mm. Everyone else is just here to implement our genius. Mm. And, and my thought is, no, a part of the human process is moving people to the place where uh, they're not just digging ditches or, or hitting rocks with a shovel, but the, they're able to use their mind as their greatest tool and asset. And um, I, I do think the world is better when human beings are able to express their most creative selves. And so I, as I'm pushing this, I understand I'm in a minority when I'm talking about there's genius inside of everyone. And I also understand that that genius seems to be extricated from the human experience by the time people are 12 years old. And so we have to go back and rethink parenting and rethink education and rethink what it means to mature humans. Mm. And how do we develop mature, healthy human beings while not destroying from within them their uniqueness, their creativity, and their genius? Wow. And I think that's an important conversation. And that's one of the reasons I wrote this book. I love it. What was the moment that you knew you were going to write this book? Wow. Well, I went to New York, was sitting with um, 
convergent and random house and i have photos from that day oh yeah because that was the day the way of the warrior was released that's that's right and i was with you and it was very cold that day it was and i have video of us in the publishing in the conference room before they came in because they had a beautiful view yeah so you know i I pitched like five books oh you did i pitched like five books and one of them i had completely written several others i had really developed ideas and then, you know, in the middle of that pitch, I said, I also had this other idea. It's called The Genius of Jesus. And it's the integration of this, my study of genius and my journey of following and discovering who Jesus is. And they go, oh, we want that one. I said, no, they no, understand. That isn't a one. That's just an idea. Yeah. Everything else I have developed, everything else I even have like a manuscript. And, and they go, no, we want that one. And so I told my agent, uh, Esther, I said, they want the one book. I don't have anything, you know, <laughs> I don't, all I have is a title. Yeah. I don't even have a subtitle and I couldn't talk them out of it. Yeah. They just wanted that book. And so then COVID hits and the quarantine comes and I'm supposed to write this book and I just don't have it. I can't find it. So I, I outline this whole book. I lay it out and I think, okay, I'm ready. I got the structure. I've got all the, all the chapters. I have all the themes. And then when I got it all together, it was all wrong. It was just not right. And so yeah. I had to go and wipe all that out. Started all over again. Outlined the book. Mapped it out. Came together with the concepts and themes. And it was... You literally painted all of your walls yeah. in the room above the garage. And you turned it into what is it, like a like a whiteboard. Yeah. And you had like full like eight foot just chapter line outlines. That's how I the whole thing. do things. And yeah, so yeah. the whole wall was outlined with a book that never got written. So I did that twice. And then to be really honest, I called um, my agent and I said, I can't do this. I've never wow. said that in my life. Wow. And and then I, I didn't you know, know this. I had us call. Uh, my publisher and my, my editor and I said, hey, um, I'll give you all the money back. Just release me from the contract. Uh, I can't write this book. No, I'm not in. When the was that? January. No, March. No, maybe January of 2020. And um, was it was that when COVID started? It was around March? Yeah. 2020. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah March. Yeah, it would be March. Yeah. And I just said, I just, I, I can't do this. I don't have it. It's not the right book or it's not, I'm not the right headspace or something. And I wanted out and I was ready to give them the money back and, um, and they would not release me from my contract. Yeah. They, they came back with a kindness I did not want. What? What'd they say? They said, Hey, we totally understand. We really believe in you and believe in this book. That's however, however long it takes, that? we're with you. I'm like, no, you understand. You understand. <laughs> I don't want however long we're, it takes. I want. We're breaking up. <laughs> I want to have to keep my responsibility to, uh, to write this book. And uh, they did me the great kindness of saying, take your time, take as long as you want. We'll wait forever. We think this book's really important. Yeah. And I wanted to go jump <laughs> off the roof. I was yeah. so upset going, they won't let me out of this. And uh, they didn't know I was just looking for a way to quit. Yeah. And which is terrible because I'm the guy that wrote, you know, The Last Arrow. Like never give up. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, save nothing for the next save life. Save nothing for the next life. Don't quit. Yeah. So, you know, and into that book, I say most of us think we failed, but what we did was we quit. Well, I was really clear. <laughs> and, uh, I would have both failed and quit on the, <laughs> at the yeah. same time. Yeah. 
And so then I had to sit down and go, okay, I have this high responsibility. They would not let me out of my responsibility. Uh, they believe in the book. They were going to wait forever. And so then I went at it again in the back house during COVID, during quarantine, and and reframed the whole book. And I had this conversation with myself. This what? is where the book came from. I was in the back house and I heard this voice in my head say, it's kind of weird that your whole life revolves around someone who lived 2000 years ago. Wow. And I thought, yeah, it is really strange. And and then the other voice said, well, what about if Jesus isn't God? How do you explain the change in your life? Hmm. And then I had this other voice that said, well, you can't deny that you've been changed by Jesus. So you, you could actually deny that you believe in Jesus more than you could deny that you've been changed by Jesus. Hmm. And I said, okay, wait a minute. So then if Jesus isn't God and I've been changed by Jesus, that I've been changed by the idea of Jesus. Mm. And then I thought, wow, what's more extraordinary? To be changed by Jesus because he's God or to be changed by Jesus because he's an idea. And I thought, no, that is genius. And then I was reminded how every list of geniuses that I've ever seen did not have Jesus on it, not a single one. So this book actually came out of me asking the question, does Jesus of Nazareth qualify as a genius? Is he a historic genius? And if he is a genius, what is his genius? And if he has a genius, why has it never been identified? And so I wrote the book in its first um, rendition as a person who did not believe in Jesus being God. Wow. And so I, I basically put aside my belief wow. and, and, and pushed aside the divinity of Jesus and I treated everything in the Bible as mythology. I know this sounds heretical, but this is the way I wrote the book. You love teetering that line, so. <laughs> and uh, uh, because I wanted to see Jesus in his humanity and ask right. the question, is the, is the man Jesus a genius? And then it hit me, it just exploded in my mind that every genius has a domain. Yeah. Because uh, there is genius. Wait, in, every ge ge genius, genius has a domain. domain. Yeah. And there is genius in every domain in which humans exist. Right. And so Mozart has his domain. He's a composer. And Einstein has a domain. He was a mathematician. And, you know, Picasso has a domain. He's a painter. And Bobby Fischer has a domain. He was a chess player. And, and, and I said, so what's the domain of Jesus? And I went, oh, the domain of Jesus, the canvas of Jesus is the human spirit. Wow. And where Jesus' genius is seen is in the way people are changed, even 2,000 years later, by who he is, by his teachings, by his genius. And, and this, for me, became so exciting and so fascinating. So I wrote the book, The Genius of Jesus, as a, as a, like a historical anthropological uh, study of the genius of this man, Jesus. And this genius is so profound and so provocative 2,000 years later, it has more momentum than it did 2,000 years ago. It's crazy. Uh, and then my editor came back and said, hey, could you go back and infuse your faith so that people aren't confused? <laughs> and, okay. And I said, okay. okay, I'll do that. Even though I thought it was sort of elegant the other way. Yeah. It, you know? Okay, well, I have a few questions for you. Okay, all right. Okay, is that okay? Mm -hmm. Does that work? It does. What was your favorite part of writing and researching for the book? Well, um, I don't know if I have a favorite part. 
But the chapter on the good is one of my favorite chapters I've ever written because when I was writing it, I was discovering things and I was having these epiphanies and I was going nuts going, I can't believe this. I can't believe this. And, yeah. and so I, I felt like I just kept having these aha experiences. Uh, right. I felt like the genie was coming out of the bottle. <laughs> it was really exciting. How do you decide which idea to pursue when you plan the next book? Well, if you have a publishing contract, it's a combination of ideas that you are fascinated by that you feel like resonate with who you are and um, an idea the publisher believes is marketable and that the, that the customer wants and, and that, you know, how do you leads. decide? I know how they decide, but how do you decide what's, what are you willing to, cause I imagine you could write a plethora of books. Yes. Yeah. How do you decide what makes it to the books that you actually, the ideas you pitch them? Usually it's the idea that just begins to overwhelm me. It okay. just, it, I can't get, get it out of my head. I think about it at night, I think about it in the morning. It, I get, I'm consumed by it. So I, I think the book consumes me. I used to say, I don't write books. The books demand to be written and I become their instrument. <laughs> I like that. Um, what is your genius? Well, thank you. I'm going to assume the question assumes my genius. <laughs> and, um, I, I think uh, maybe a, uh, if I have a genius that has been developed, it's the ability to see. And I, I, I just to think I, um, I think I just I see what uh, I see what's invisible. I see what other people don't see. And um, and yeah, so I think that's a, a part of my genius. How does the genius of Jesus differ from your other books? Completely different. How so? Would you say the style is different? You write in a completely different voice? Well, uh, my editor says it's an incredibly intimate book. I thought all my books were intimate, but this one is even more intimate, I think, than the other ones. Okay. Um, I think this book is more, um, it exposes more of who I am and how I think than maybe many of my other books. Um, but I think it's different because I've never written a book about Jesus. And I think that's what makes it most different. Okay. Can I ask you another question? Sure. How long did it, oh, I already answered this? How long did it take you to write? I think it ended up taking me maybe three months. Three months. Yeah. But the process was drawn out over like a year. Yeah, over a year. Of COVID. Yeah. Um, what do you do when you're hesitant to start something that may fail? You probably never start it because hesitation yeah, is um, reinforced. Because when you hesitate, you are failing. Hmm. And so what you should do is just do it, right? What do you do when you hesitate to start something you may fail, except that you will fail, and then just go do it. How did you know you wanted to write books, and when did you start? My earliest memories of writing original content was when I was maybe nine, ten years old. Okay, what were you writing? Um, well, first I began because I would put my sisters to bed at night and yeah. you know other people they would give us books to read them fairy right. tales and i would not every night i would create a new story for them and uh, and so i started writing stories for my sisters when i put them to bed at night and we, it developed characters developed storylines developed universes worlds wow and uh and then by the time i was in junior high i was writing short stories okay writing a lot of science fiction that was like my space early awesome. on um almost all of my writing was fiction Hmm. And uh, and then I would do like really esoteric things like bury it in the backyard and 
let, no one will ever read these books. They will only know. I will. I'll be the yeah. only one ever knows these stories. And, yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I, I can't. I don't have a memory, a living memory of not being a writer. Amazing. You were a mystery, Erwin <laughs> Raphael McManus. And I think as we like wrap this episode up, I just want to encourage everybody who's listening. One, I'm, I've been, I'm able to be a witness, a firsthand witness to the, the, the effort and the work and the genius that you pour out into your books. But um, it's, this was the hardest book I ever wrote. Really? Yeah. Took the most work, the most sweat, uh, the most uh, anxiety, the most uh, um, sense of fear or failure. It, I, 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 just talking about Jesus terrified me. Yeah. Because I don't ever want to write a word that would diminish or misrepresent Jesus. Yeah. And so the sacredness of this process to me was terrifying. Someone actually asked a question. I don't know if we want to put it on here, but do you, if if we misinterpret and misrepresent Jesus, do we go to hell? No. We misinterpret, misrepresent Jesus every day when we live in perfect lives. Yeah. Because we are the story of Jesus in our lives, not the words I write in the book. Ah, oh, interesting. So we're good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I can sleep tonight then. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for doing this podcast together. Hey, thank you so much. I'm so excited. And thank you to everyone who has picked up the genius of Jesus. And uh, thank you to everyone who's helping spread the word across the world. It's so exciting. Hey, I'm so excited. Let's get the word out about the man who changed everything. Hey, I love it. I'm really, I'm really pumped for this. I think it's going to be, I think it's really going to change lives. And I think it's going to really open up minds and help people kind of see Jesus in a different light than they ever have before. Mm -hmm. Everything is so good. If you're afraid to ask questions about your faith, is it faith? Thank you for listening to this podcast. Uh, we are so grateful for you. Every person who's uh, who's uh, left a comment, reviewed this podcast. If you haven't rated and reviewed this podcast, go to Apple Podcasts. It's on the app, and you can go to our 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 uh, our podcast channel, uh, Batteretti, and you can rate and review it. Uh, we would love it if you did. This is an invitation. Uh, but if you get anything from this episode, go check out the Genius of Podcast, your new podcast that you've been doing, mm -hmm. and go and order this book. Uh, buy it for a friend. The holidays are coming up. Get it now. And we are really, really looking forward to seeing how this book impacts your lives and the lives of the people around you. So this is exciting. Oh, yeah, it's so good. And thank you so much, buddy. I love right, you. Love you. Bye. Bye.